is the Under Center Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Under Center Podcast. I'm your host, Dara Mar, and I am joined today by host of the Honolulu Blues uh, show, Nick Faber. Nick, how are you? Oh, I'm living the dream. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be talking overseas. I like it. You know what I mean? It's about time I broaden my horizon, so I like it. That's it. You've gone fully international now. You're over here on uh, the Emerald Isle, so now... uh... Now, there's no excuse. That means once you've talked on this show, it's compulsory that you have to then find a way to get over here. Then we go for a load of Guinness together and then just talk football. Well, now you're, now you're barking right up the right tree. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> real funny story. I started podcasting probably five, six years ago now. When I was in Spain for three months, I had a three-month duration in Spain with my daughter, who was 18 months at the time, and my fiance. Yeah. Well... I had a lot of free time while I was over there, 18 months. She napped a lot. So I started writing. I started podcasting. And all of a sudden, I just grew right into it. My first guest I ever had was a guy from Sweden. His name is Carl. He's a great dude. So I actually got a couple ties overseas, but I'm always excited to come back, and especially for that pint of Guinness. Absolutely. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, and there's Cam. Well, she heard Guinness, so that's why she was interested then. That's after exactly that. right. <laughs> but that's it. You come off to Ireland, we get you some Guinness. I get you the proper Guinness, not the not the sort of touristy stuff that's not really that nice that you get. Um, we'll, we'll get the, the proper stuff. But you're on today to talk about the Detroit Lions. You, you host the Honolulu Blues. I, I'm guessing so. Is that me? Are you currently in Hawaii right now at the moment? Is that why you named the show Honolulu Blues? No, solid question too. Um, no, it's it's really the type of blue that the Detroit Lions are is called the Honolulu blue. Um, okay. I mean, I guess Crayola made that. I don't know who decided that, but uh, at some point, that's the Honolulu Blues. So, or the Honolulu blue. So, what we did was kind of transform the Honolulu blue into a blues esque show because if you've been a Lions fan, we all know for the last 70 years, it's been nothing but blue. You know, we've we've only seen nothing but blues here. Not nothing good, nothing happy, all just sad, sad songs. So we kind of turned it from the Honolulu Blue into the Honolulu Blues and then show because it's a fun show. We're live on YouTube and we have a lot of fun. We we do a lot of quirky things. Um, it, it, it's going to be exciting. We're actually jumping on right after this show, so I'm going to be doing that show right after. A, a full slate of talking, and I can't wait. Excellent stuff. And look, what better way to do than talking about your team, which is the Detroit Lions. And let's talk about the draft a couple of weeks ago because you guys were pick number seven. I guess a lot of mock drafts, including my own, um, kind of had you taking a wide receiver in the first round because – we didn't think Panay Sue would still be available. Well, I thought they wouldn't be. I thought the Bengals would definitely pick him up to give him protection for Joe Burrow. But you get him in, uh, in pick number seven, round number one. The the video, obviously, if whoever watched the draft saw, Dan Campbell and his team were very happy that Panay Sue dropped to him. That's uh, at number seven. And uh, what were your thoughts on on uh, Sue? Oh, man. Oh, man. Was I excited. This is the guy we've been banging the table for for man i don't know many moons i guess i would say we had wanted sewell we had wanted him fall we, we tried to will chase young to fall to us last year we we tried as everything we could to just like help the universe help chase young fall to detroit it didn't happen he went to washington well we were right back at it we went right back to the well this year 
everything we did. We spoke positively about Sewell falling to the Lions at seven. It had to be done, and it happened. And you could see the excitement from the front office. Oh, my gosh. I literally thought our new GM, Brad Holmes, was going to, like, pile drive our owner, Sheila Fordham, because, like, he was so excited. I thought he was about to, like, put her through the table, and we were going to have, like, a solid wrestling match. Like, I was excited, and I'm excited to see that kind of excitement because in the years past, the last couple years, it had been Bob Quinn, and he's just twirling his little baseball bat, right, just sitting there smirking. He's got a little baseball bat. Matt Patricia's kind of, like, grinning over there. He's like, we did good. We did good. It's the most terrible drafts I've ever seen in my life. They didn't know what they were doing. They were in over their heads, out of the water, fish out of water. So I was ecstatic to see the excitement. I believe I'm I'm fully in. I'm drinking the blue Kool-Aid right now. I believe the Lions are winning the Super Bowl this year. Well, maybe not this year, but soon. I know. Maybe not next year. Give it, give Dan Campbell at least a year to bed in. But let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the rest of the draft as well, because it was a sort of defense-heavy draft you went uh, on this year. There was only uh, two players on offense that you got, and that was in – uh, the later rounds as well. So it seems as though Coach Campbell and his team have seen areas that they want to improve on, especially for the first year, and that's defense. And it's, it's I've said this on my show 100,000 times over and over. Everyone turns it off normally when I start to talk about it because I've said this all last year. We were the worst defense in NFL history. There was... There is not one defense in in the history of the NFL from 1922 or whenever this league started to to 2020. There has not been a worse defense than the 2020 Detroit Lions. Not even the 2016, or I'm sorry, what was it? 2006 Detroit Lions that went 0-16, 2008 Detroit Lions that went 0-16. Not the Browns that went 0-16. No defense was as bad as the Lions were last year. So I'm fully on board. And I do believe if Suell wasn't there, it wouldn't have been a wide receiver or Justin Fields. I believe it would have been Mika Parsons and we would have reached for him. He, we, we wanted to address defense. That is how we're going to win. Expect the, um, like, I don't know. Here comes my cat again. Expect my, expect like the, I don't know, the, the old school, like the Seahawks defense, the Bucks, de- like that's how we're going to have to try to win. If we want to do anything in, in, in this year or next year, it's not going to be on the back of Jared Goff and Amonra St. Brown and Tyrell Williams. Like, it's just not going to be on the back of them. It's going to be on the back of the defense. We went strong in the trenches. First three picks were all in the trenches, two of which on the defensive side. We plan to run a 3-4 spread defense that's going to hopefully allow our defensive tackles to be used in a wide range. Uh, It's going to be an exciting process uh, to see this, but I'm I'm very happy that we we invested so heavily in the draft in defense, and I don't think it's going to change for the next couple years either. Yeah, and the defense, it's just like you were saying – one of the worst last year and there was so many times looking back on it where I, I one my mind goes back especially to that new orleans game where you were up i think it was 14 or 21 nil at one point and just your defense could not hold on to it for for love our money and there was a couple of games like that last year for sure but it was yeah it was a lot of um defensive draft picks and i guess in off in the off season as well if we're looking at it there was a lot too there. You've got the like you brought in Quinton Dunbar from 
uh, Seattle. But it's not all defense, um, I should say, because you have got Jamal uh, Williams, who's after coming in from Green Bay. It looks like he'll probably play as the backup to DeAndre, DeAndre Swift, who will probably be number one next year. But it's probably on the wideouts, that's probably the... Uh, Biggest area of concern would it be on the offense after losing Kenny Galladay and uh, Marvin Jones uh, this offseason, bringing in Tyrell Williams, who is a good player but can struggle a bit now with uh, injury issues. Yeah, I mean, wide receiver is huge. So I'm going to cycle around everything you just said real quick. First off, we did address defense in free agency too. Quentin Dunbar is awesome. But there's a cornerback to keep your eye on. For anyone listening, any Lions fans, he's going to be playing slack corner. His name is Corn Edler, like the food. Corn Edler comes from Carolina. Jalen Ramsey had great things to say about him. He's going to be an impactful, immediate starter on the Detroit Lions defense. He's going to be great to watch. Make sure you keep an eye on him. Our offense, we did like to, we did try to address a little bit, but wide receiver is 100 percent like the biggest the biggest if we we even waited till like the last pick in the third round, pick 101, to get our first wide receiver, Amonra St. Brown, who's going to be able to kind of fill in that slot esque role, Danny Amendola style, which we saw Cooper Cup and Jared Goff have a great chemistry. Now, obviously, I believe they played college together or high school together, so they had a little bit of chemistry before. But I still think that's going to be like a, like a lifesaver almost for Jared Goff. But the addition of Bashad Perryman, whose dad played for the Lions, Brett Perryman in the 90s, and was awesome. And it's super fun and exciting to see Bashad Perryman on the Lions. Like, I have I, – or I don't have – I had a Brett Perryman jersey. And if I would have kept that jersey and then got the Bashad Perryman jersey to get father-son jerseys, like, that's really cool. That's a fun story. But still, the addition of him, the addition of Tyra Williams, the addition of Khalif Raymond from Tennessee, who's going to be our new Jamal Agnew return man-esque, doesn't excite me. And now I'm glad we didn't spend high on wide receiver early in the draft because we didn't need to. We have tried to draft wide receiver early in so many years past, and that's just not how you win a championship. It really isn't. You need to find diamonds in the rough when it comes to wide receiver. I assume in about five years, They'll be just as obsolete as running backs because there will be so many of them. You will be able to find dime, a, a wide receiver anywhere. You'll be able to see him walking down the street and be like, hey, you can play in the NFL. And they'll be like, all right. And they'll go catch a 1,000 yards because wide receivers kind of can come out of nowhere. Uh, so I'm, I'm okay with that drafting one early. And I don't think we need to next year either. I don't think we need to address it in free agency or the, or, or either. I, I believe we've seen like uh, the Los Angeles Rams be able to make key draft picks that help out in Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson. And I, I hope that Brad Holmes will be able to do that in Detroit as well. We saw Kenny Galladay from the old regime, third round pick. Like you can find good wide receivers later in drafts these days. DK Metcalf fall into the second round. I, I, I'm just not sold on trying to push for early in the draft or even for a spend or even spend big on a big free agent wide receiver. I'm all about homegrown, organic wide receivers from deep in the dirt. And you just scoop them up, and it's like the most beautiful radish you've ever had. You know what I mean? You're just like, look at this fucking radish. Sorry. Look at this freaking radish. This radish is delicious. And you just eat it, and it's a great wide receiver. So that's what I'm hoping for. Excuse my French. I got a little couple beers in me. That's totally fine. It's totally fine. You just can tell the passion uh, you have for your team, which is absolutely A-OK on my side here. But the person who's going to be throwing the ball for the first time in a long time is not going to be Matthew Stafford. 
You've got Jared Goff. The trade happened obviously early in the off season. Are you happy having Jared Goff on board? Now, I admit I'm a Seattle fan, so I've seen enough of Jared Goff to do me a lifetime playing for the Rams against him because he's one player that would struggle 14 games out of the year, but those two games against the Seahawks, he would turn it up and light Seattle up each time. I hated seeing him. I'm going to love to see the back of him, but I actually, we are scheduled to play you guys this year as well, so I'm going to see him one more time at least. So um, what what do you think as Jared Goff as your QB going forward? There's a lot to digest with it. This is, like you said, the first time in 13 years that Matthew Stafford isn't going to be lining up under center to start out the, the season. That's big. That's like, I don't even, I don't really know how to like digest it. My, like, and the quarterbacks before Matthew Stafford for me were like Charlie Batch and Joey Harrington and Jeff or, and John Kitna and, and, and like these, these quarterbacks that have no reason being quarterbacks. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested. In fact, I'm intrigued. I'm excited just for a new face, a new arm, a new body under center just to, to see and, to be honest, we're gaining a, a quarterback who, I believe, has made the court made the playoffs every single year of it, of his NFL career. Made the Super Bowl once. The Lions have made the playoff three times in thirteen years with Matthew Stafford, and we won zero of those games. Zero. We haven't won a playoff game since nineteen ninety one. I do not care if Jared Goff doesn't look like Matthew Stafford, doesn't throw as far, as fast, as as dumb as Matthew Stafford. Um, I'm very excited to get a guy who's going to be much more of a game manager. Uh, Matthew Stafford has the arm to make these unbelievable throws, but sometimes he tries to make these unbelievable throws and they're really dumb and there's just no need. And sometimes they like go through and Kenny Galladay makes this amazing catch and everyone's like, ah, this is why Matthew Stafford's the best quarterback in the league. And it's like, well, no, you didn't need to make that throw. You just didn't even, I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out this time, but the next time it's not going to work out. We just don't need to be doing that. So I'm glad we get Jared Goff in here. Now, if we can implement Green Bay as Jared Goff's Seattle, I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? If, if, <laughs> if Jared Goff wants to stink for 14 games but light it up against Green Bay, I'm a happy guy. I'll be a happy camper. I do think he gives us um, a, good, a good veteran experience. His stats are very similar to Matthew Stafford's through this amount of, um, you know, games played in their career. Again, it's just the postseason that's the big difference uh, as of right now. He's still young, 26, 27, something like that when the Around season starts. It, like, let's let's take this for a ride. You never know. We don't know if the, if the paint's going to come off and all of a sudden you have, like, this beautiful 19... 60 i don't know cars mustang i don't know cars but uh or, or is it just gonna end up being just like a, a station wagon you know what i mean like you don't know really what this is gonna turn out to be i believe in dan campbell i believe he's a guy who will make other guys run through walls for him which is awesome if he and and, and jerry goff can and stay on the same page along with anthony lynn then there's no reason with the offense line that we have and the running back that we have, Jared Goff can't go out there and throw 31 touchdowns, eight interceptions, you know, 4,000 yards, and, and we can win between eight and 10 games. Like, I truly believe that because, Dan, it's all about coaching. You can give that same defense, that worst NFL defense that I said for Detroit last year, 2020, the worst defense of all time in the NFL. 
you take Matt Patricia away from that and you replace him with Dan Campbell, I bet you that defense is not as bad. Sometimes it's not about personnel, it's about coaching. And I like our coach, I like Jared Goff, and I think the connection is going to be very awesome, fun to watch. Yeah, and with Anthony Lynn as as the OC, Colin plays next year. It, 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 possibly we could see a more run-oriented game from the Lions. And you we could get a situation where the Lions adopt maybe a a Brown style offense because they it, like the Browns, they have two good running backs there in Swift and Williams. So you give the game to them and then let Goff play off the play action where he's not having to be throwing 50 times a game so he can throw 20, 30. And then, you know, that, that will give him the time they need to throw. And maybe that can be a, a way to succeed in, in Detroit. Yeah. And that's how we're going to win. Right. That's what I was like. We're going to have to be New England of 2004, right? We're going to have to win with running backs, defense, and game-managing quarterbacks who plays off of the play action, similar to what Kirk Cousins does with Minnesota. You, he, They live through Dalvin Cook and then live off of that play action. And that's how we're going to win. And, and if, we can't, if we can't do that fundamentally, then we have absolutely no chance. And like right now, we have the worst odds to win the NFC. I think maybe the worst odds to win the championship, whatever. If we're going to like stump the world and shock the world, then we're, we we have to do that through DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. They both have to be huge benefactors in this offense. TJ Hawkinson has to be George Kittle, but better. Like he needs to lead the league in receiving yards with like 1,700. And then we're going to have to live off of our offensive line that we just stacked up. And we, we've been talking about for, for, for a solid week now, because after this draft was swelled, man, our, our offensive line should be looking good. That's how we're going to have to win. And we're going to need our defense, obviously to step up and not be the worst defense in the world. Yeah. Uh, and finally, before we let you go, um, I want to ask you, you've talked a little bit about um, Dan Campbell. Uh, since he's arrived in, he's sort of given that, jump and enthusiasm to the team that I think has been lacking a couple of years because let, let's be honest, Matt Patricia, Matt Patricia wasn't exactly, you know, the most charismatic character in the league. Um, you know, even just the sort of, yeah, the enthusiasm and the sort of his energy has definitely sort of boosted um, the Lions, uh, even just the Lions team in general, um, even before they've actually even done any training. I am excited for Dan Kim- and and not just Dan Campbell, but Brad Holmes as well. I think he behind the scenes is just as ag- aggressive and intense as Dan Campbell. So I'm I'm excited to see these two. Like I said, Dan Campbell's a guy that you run through a wall for. Man, you stand up and you literally just start running at a wall over and over and over and over and until you break through that wall. You will run through a wall for Dan Campbell because he will be right there on your back, telling you you can do it. And I'm so excited to see it because the difference between him and Matt Patricia, night and day, night and day. Like, Matt Patricia, had nobody had his back. Not one person in the Detroit Lions team had his back. And you could tell that. The way he talked to his players, like you listen in behind the scenes, you know what I mean? He mic'd up and no one had, they would like the fake laugh. Like, you hear that fake laugh, like kids give to like, teachers and 
and you give like your boss, you know what I mean? Like you walk in your boss and your boss is like, Hey, I heard this funny joke. You're like, Oh my God, that is hilarious. And you like walk away and you're like, ah, I hate that dude. You know what I mean? I love my yeah. boss if he's watching. Um, but I'm just saying if, like if you were to like listen to the conversations between Matt Patricia and the Detroit Lions, that's how it was. Like it was just a dictatorship. Just it was terrible. A terrible, terrible way for the Lions to finish Matthew Stafford's career with them. But then, out of all that darkness, comes light. Right, comes a shining bright light, and it's Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes. And they're walking side by side. And they are going to change this. I feel it. I truly feel like the intensity has sprung through the locker room, through the field. And it's, it feels as energized the, the fans, the media. Like, it's exciting around here right now. I think a lot of us truly believe, along with the additional picks that we have over the next two years, I think there's a lot of new talent that can be brought in. And everyone knows that there's a ton of parity in the NFL. A, a, a team can go from first to worst in the blink of an eye. It doesn't happen like that in the NBA, in the NHL, in the MLB. But in the NFL, man, you can go from being the worst team, pick one player, and all of a sudden your team has, has, has shifted the entire fate of the NFL. The Lions have been waiting a long time, 70 years, for that game-changing player to have a team around them. Right now – it reminds me of like the Detroit Pistons in the 1990s where we didn't have an MVP, right? Fun little fact, the Detroit Pistons are the only team ever to win an NBA championship without a future, a present, or a past MVP on their team. They did it three times, 1989, 1990, and 2004. The only three teams in NBA history. That's kind of how the Lions are going to be, I believe, for the next two years. Winning with a team that has no star power, no like impactful, you know, media presence, but man, it's just a team. It's a team, it's a united team that Dan Campbell is straight up leading into every battle, biting the kneecaps off, punching them in the throat, and walking to the next battle and repeating and repeating. And I truly believe that they're gonna get their at least first playoff win with Dan Campbell. Oh, can't wait. Was that that Pistons teams that you're talking about with Isaiah Thomas? Yeah. Would he never Thomas. win MVP, no? No, Joe Dumars, Bill Lambeer. None of no. them ever won MVP. Dennis Rodman, obviously. And then yeah. the 2004, Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Tayshaun Prince. None of them ever won MVP, no. ever, ever. Okay. Oh, I, I, thought, I, I thought he would have. Now, now my NBA knowledge is limited. I, I'll same, be honest now with same, that. But that's like the one fact that I know, you know, and I love to bring it up every chance I get. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, there's one thing there before as well we let you go. So we're hoping next season, um, I think it's pretty much nailed on. We're going to see full stadiums again now. And we're looking forward to it for Ford Field being, at, being filled again. But tell me, are we going to get cardboard cutouts of knees and fans biting on them? Oh my God. I never really even thought about that. But if they, if we don't, if like we don't have like a walking dead zombie biting a kneecap at least, you know what I mean? Like you don't have to yeah. do like cannibalism. Like that's fine. I get you probably don't want to have that going on. But at least like a zombie, like a 28 weeks later zombie, you know what I mean? Or a walking dead, 
some zombie eating it. Like, dude. Yes. Yeah. I believe that's mandatory. And if it's yeah. not, I'll get on the phone with the Lions PR and I'll, I'll make sure it happens. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I only need like 12% credit. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you get 11. We'll talk about that. No. All right. We'll, we'll work it up to 11.5 by the end of this. I promise. <laughs> Thanks again, Nick. And make sure you do check out the Honolulu Blues show if you want to find out more about the Detroit Lions leading in to the coming season. But we're going to move on. Uh, and I'm happy to say that I have Jake Woolhead back for me for this part. We're talking the Denver Broncos. And on the show today to talk about the Broncos and their offseason. Is Andrew Mason from the DNVR podcast? Andrew, how are you? Doing well, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? I can't complain too much. Sitting here talking sports, I love it. I love it. I would yeah. do this every day if I could. Yeah, that's I'm trying it. to. <laughs> Lucky. I, that's it. And it, it's scheduled release day today. And as we were saying before, we went on air there, just trying to weed out what is actual the what is actual leaks and what are people just trying to get some attention on this day is is hard to decipher from. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think uh, you've got sort of a, uh, the two tiers of this. You've got kind of the, you know, the the, the blue checks on Twitter, the, the reporters who are covering the team that have stuff. And then there's kind of stuff floating. There, there's kind of weird stuff floating around. Like there was one today that I saw from uh, somebody who uh, was in Green Bay and claimed that was the home schedule and said that they got it from somebody in the hospitality industry in Northeast Wisconsin, because of course they want to know, okay, when can we jack up the hotel rates for people coming uh, to visit for Packer home games? I mean, there's just so much crazy stuff out there right now. Yeah. But two, two games we are definitely sure of, well, we got the full week one schedule that that we're sure of, but two games other than the week one schedule that we were sure of is the two international games, which is Mm -hmm. obviously great for us over this side of the ocean. And that's going to be the uh then or the Miami Dolphins facing off against the Jacksonville Jaguars and then one week later is going to be the Atlanta Falcons against the New York Jets we spoke about it on a show earlier on this week that we kind of hoped that it could have been Washington uh because one of the our funeral other co-hosts is a Washington fan so could have been a fan from from the show could have at least had some interest in the London games but it's still going to be great lads to see uh, football back with crowds, uh, especially on the international stage at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Oh, 100%. And, uh, of course, the Broncos, before COVID hit, the Broncos were expected to play the Falcons in London last year. It would have been their first international game in 10 years. I know everyone was pretty excited about that around here, and that got scuttled. And uh, so there, there was also some hopes the Broncos might be the Jag- Jaguars' opponent. Because, but uh, didn't work out. But uh, maybe the Broncos will make themselves a little more relevant and uh, be getting over there because that's something I hear from a lot of Broncos fans over uh, in in Britain and Ireland and then throughout uh, Europe is, hey, when are they coming back? When are they coming back? I mean, it's you know, it, I guess I almost said well, you almost want to say, hey, if you want to see a team every year, probably should become a, a, a Jaguars fan. <laughs> it might be a little bit better, but in that regard. But uh, hopefully, the Broncos will be over there soon because. Last time I, I went over there, it was it was it was a phenomenal week, really, until the uh, until the game itself happened for the Broncos. So it's a blast, and uh, you're going to get a couple of good games. I mean, Dolphins Jaguars, that's that's really intriguing on a lot of levels with a couple of good young quarterbacks, presuming that uh, Trevor Lawrence is everything we all expect him to be. Definitely yeah, an exciting game to watch because like yeah. you've got these two young guys that are probably gonna be stars in the AFC for hopefully a while, make the sport a little bit more exciting. Um it'd certainly be a game that I would be intrigued to go see. 
um, if I can manage to get a ticket now. Yeah, that's it for sure. But look, we are here to focus on the on the Broncos today. But before we do, guys, if you are watching this on YouTube, can you please like this video and subscribe to the Under Center podcast uh, channel on YouTube? Because that we have just recently set up this channel and we'd love to get as many subscribers over as we can and really help us out if you can do that for us. Alternatively, if you want the audio show, just do the same thing wherever you get your podcast. Just search under center podcast you'll find us there subscribe to us there too and you'll get the audio version of the show whenever we release it but let's uh, let's talk about the broncos uh andrew and let's actually start with the draft a couple of weeks ago because the broncos picked at nine all the talk before the draft was they were one of the teams that were in the running for a quarterback both Trey Lance and Justin Fields' names were mentioned a lot as two players that they actually really liked. But instead, they decide to get out of the quarterback race and draft a cornerback Patrick Sertain instead. Uh, what did you make of their choice uh, at number nine? Well, I mean, it's it's a good choice in terms of looking at Pat Sertain in a vacuum and saying, okay, what can this player do relative to the value of the pick? What is his outlook? Pat Sertan, not only uh, probably the most complete cornerback in the class, but playing a premium position. If you're going to have a top 10 pick, ideally you're picking a QB, a corner, a blindside protector at tackle, or an edge rusher. And so Sertan is one of those four uh, key guys playing corner. The th- The thing is, though, if you step back and kind of look at it in the big picture and say, okay, the quarterback question looms over everything with the Broncos right now, that's that's the only way you can kind of question it. And, and an interesting thing that came out, uh, Joe Banner, a former executive for the uh, Eagles and Browns now working for uh, the 33rd team, that, that publication, Banner said that Chicago offered to trade up with Carolina at eight and then Denver at nine basically the deal that ultimately the Giants took at number 11. And so if you're the Broncos and that deal came into play, maybe you love Sertan and maybe you only liked Fields, didn't love him enough to take him. But if you could have ended up with a first-round pick from the Bears in 2022 by moving down 11 spots, then you could have been in a position where you had that extra pick that if you're picking a quarterback next year, potentially, you use that extra pick to move up in the draft. If you're trading for Aaron Rodgers, and I know we're going to get into that possibility here in a few in a few minutes, and you, then you're talking about maybe having another draft pick that you can send to Green Bay to make that deal happen and minimize the player capital. And then you could have still gotten a Caleb Farley or a Greg Newsome uh, sitting there at 20. You could have still addressed corner. So that's the only thing to question. Not the pick of Sertan, not the player himself, just everything around that with the Broncos having a roster that appears ready to contend with the only big question being at QB. Yeah, definitely. And what could have been a bit of an odd addition in some uh, circles because the Broncos did try to address the cornerback position in free agency. They, they got Ronald Darby, they got Kyle Fuller as well, but it was a secondary that really struggled last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the depth got tested and collapsed completely. You had, of course, had uh, you, you you had you go back to AJ Boye. They brought in and he gets hurt the first game, and then that that forces Michael OJ Moody in, and that rookie out of Iowa, third round pick. He had his he had his ups and downs last year, and then 
you, you you see the injuries happening. Even you had backups that were getting injured. They lose a saying Bassey down the stretch. They lose Duke Dawson to a, a torn ACL. What they were left with at the end was a, you know, nothing like they expected to have going the process. Bryce Callahan had a great season when he played, he only played 10 games, of course, and kind of the story of Bryce Callahan's career is that when he's healthy, he's terrific, but he hasn't played a 16 game schedule yet. And so they didn't want to get caught short. Now, the interesting thing with Sertan is that there may not be a role for him in terms of being in the top three or top four corners, unless he pushes uh, the top three corners, pardon me, unless he pushes Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby or Bryce Callahan out, but Callahan's injuries history suggests that, He's going to miss some time, so that will give Sertan a window. You might have to kind of move things around and have somebody else in the slot, but give Sertan a window to step in and play this season. And then Callahan's contract expires. Fuller's on a one-year deal. The, the It's wide open for Sertan to be a starter by 2022, but still that's not an immediate starter. That being said, in light of the Rogers thing, if the Broncos have to kind of make some make some space uh, to fit in everything cap wise, Bryce Callahan still has a contract that would save you seven point six million dollars on the cap if you let him go. So that may kind of open up a window for the Broncos to have some flexibility there if they need to make a little more room if and when they bring in Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that was a, a kind of an interesting one for me watching the draft because obviously, like we kind of watched Drew Lock last year and we said. Could he be the guy? I mean, with a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work, he could be the guy. And then I think you you, you brought in Teddy Bridgewater. We know he's already kind of not the guy. Um, so then you go, who can you draft at nine? It could have been Justin Fields, but you draft Patrick Sertain, which, you know, he's at a top college corner, probably the better cornerback in the draft. So now you're thinking, do you stick with your quarterbacks or do you go for a trade with Aaron Rodgers? Because if you, as you said, the Broncos are almost ready team, a contender team with the one need being quarterback. So how do you feel about the Aaron Rodgers trade? Do you feel good about what you would have to give up to get him? Because obviously you want to be looking to win a Super Bowl in the next two to three years if you do trade for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, I think you feel good about about the deal now. The whole point is, okay, how do you kind of minimize uh, what you're giving up? And uh, if it gets to, say, three first-round picks, that may be something that is too that, that proves too rich for the Broncos, even though uh, you're talking about those picks probably being in the 20s to 30s if Rodgers is who you expect him to be. So uh, I think there's a limit maybe the Broncos wouldn't want to go past and then, of course, there's the whole thing of do the Packers make him available? If the Packers are stubborn, if they you know they don't accept that that Aaron Rodgers probably isn't going to play for them again, and they say, okay, we're going to make you uh, pay back twenty nine point eight million dollars, and you just go retire, uh, that I mean that has its value as well. But what you could get from the Broncos has value too. We learned four years ago in the Browns Brock Osweiler Texans trade that even a second round pick is effectively worth $16 million. So if you th- if you view it in those terms, the Packers, I think, would look and say, we can get more value in a trade than we could if we just say, okay, Aaron, you pay back the $29.8 million. But yeah, this the thing is, in general, the Broncos have been looking at quarterbacks all offseason. They inquired about Matthew Stafford, but uh, the trade offer wasn't in the realm of what the Rams were offering. They looked at, at the free agent options. Of course, they were on hand. Uh, the GM, George Payton, watched Justin Fields, watched Zach Wilson, and, and um, didn't see Mac Jones in, in person, did see Trey Lance in person. So they haven't been acting like a team 
that is happy with the quarterback position. And even if the Rodgers thing doesn't work out, Teddy Bridgewater has worked with Pat Shermer, the Broncos offensive coordinator for two seasons in Minnesota. He's not going to take a long time to get up to speed and learn the scheme. And I don't think they would have brought in Teddy Bridgewater if they didn't have some level of trust in him. It's if it's Bridgewater and Locke, the reps are going to be divided 50, 50 in OTAs and training camp, as Vic Fangio has said. And frankly, given how one of the reasons for Locke's struggles last year, guys, was that he lost OTA reps because of the pandemic. I'd say a 50-50 split probably doesn't help out Locke that much and may actually help Bridgewater. Yeah, and just going back to the the situation around Aaron Rodgers, because it all blew up on draft night, and mm-hmm. where I don't know if you noticed at all, but or do you think that the Broncos had thoughts about drafting a quarterback that night, but then the Aaron Rodgers news came out and that they saw that they could could be in a good position to trade for him, that they decided to pull the plug on drafting one on night one? I, I don't think so. And I, I think that when they went into that, first of all, it just because it broke on draft day doesn't mean that teams probably weren't aware of yeah. Aaron Rodgers being dissatisfied because you've got, even though there certainly hasn't been any direct contact, these things happen through back channels and inter- intermediary intermediaries and so forth. I do think that if Trey Lance had gotten past pick three, that the Bron- and had kept going down to pick six, pick seven, the Broncos, I think, would have been very keen on taking Trey Lance and maybe even moving up a few picks to make sure they got him. It's sort of the thing, of, do you like a guy or do you love a guy? I think they liked Justin Fields, but they love Trey Lance. And if he had just gotten a few picks down, down in the draft, then it wouldn't at all surprise me if the Broncos were out of the Roger sweepstakes and Trey Lance was the guy and probably uh, uh, sitting behind Teddy Bridgewater for this year. So it just didn't, didn't work out that way. The 49ers ended up taking Lance. I think the 49ers made a very good decision uh, there. Certainly fits their scheme and fits the situation where he can sit behind Jimmy Garoppolo for a year. But if you're going to bring in a quarterback, you gotta, you gotta love him basically, especially if you're doing so in the top 10, and maybe, and I think, as from what I've gathered, Justin Fields, in the end, they liked him, just not enough given everything else in play. And yes, that probably does include the possibility that maybe you end up with Aaron Rodgers because they want, you know, they if it wasn't going to be a competition for the quarterback, at, then it's something that they where they wanted a clear upgrade. Rodgers obviously is a clear upgrade for almost any team. Grant, let's have a look at the rest of the draft as well. Um, and just quickly, if there was any standout picks for you, because for me, looking at their, their draft, because you made 10 picks in total, I really liked the Quinn Miners pick, mm-hmm. especially in the third round. I thought it was a, a great pickup for where you could get him. Oh, I, I, that's that might be my favorite pick of the Broncos uh, in this past draft. And uh, I was down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl in January watching him and that dude was just a beast winning one-on-one matchup after one-on-one matchup, which says a lot because the one-on-ones O-line versus D-line, they don't favor the O-lineman typically. And Miners was flat out dominant. He's, you know, he extremely strong. It start it starts with his base and that's where allows him to get a real nice drive off, off the snap. 
you know, people focus on the gut. I'm focused on the fact that this guy has so much power coming from his from it, from his lower body, from his quads, and from his and from the rest of his legs that he's going to be able to get a nice drive off of every snap. And the other thing that really stands out about Miners is this guy. He shed 20 pounds last year, converted some of that fat into muscle, and did so in a in, in a season when he didn't have a season. Division three NCAA. They didn't play last year, so it was all on him to make sure he was ready. He didn't have the games to kind of get ready for on a week-to-week basis. Says a lot about his work ethic and his football character that he showed up at the Senior Bowl and was not only in shape, but you could say was in the best football shape of his life despite not having a season. So I love that pick. I think he's going to be starting for the Broncos at some point within the next couple of years. They'll find a spot for him. Another pick I really like, you get in around seven, uh, Kerry Vincent Jr. out of LSU, another guy who didn't play last year. He opted out. LSU had a season in the SEC, and he opted out. But Kerry Vincent Jr. is a slot corner from central casting. And if they can kind of sit on him for a year, let him develop, let him kind of knock the rust off from missing last year, he's somebody that I think you could plug in as, at the slot corner in 2022 and might do very, do very well. Of course, it took a couple of safeties with a lot of potential as, as well there on day three. But it's a draft where I think the Broncos did a good job finding some high upside guys as you get into day day three, Jonathan Cooper, actually uh, a seventh round pick at edge rusher. He's somebody who's undergoing a heart procedure uh, this month should be good to go, but he's, he's a guy who would have been a fourth or fifth round pick if he didn't had the procedure. That's a good dice roll to take there in round seven. There are the types of guys that you kind of do be looking at in the later rounds is the guys you can roll the dice with, see if they can contribute right. at some point and develop. So I think that's a, a great pickup. One of my favorite pickups with the Broncos um, was on day two was Javante Williams. I thought that was a fantastic pick. He looked great. He can do everything, right? I mean, uh, the, he, he's, he can get better as a blocker, but I think that'll happen. I think that'll happen just from being around Melvin Gordon, who's a good blocker. But you know he can make plays uh, in the passing game in, in space. He, he makes people miss better than any running back I've seen coming out of college in the last five years. It's incredible how many missed tackles that he, that he forces. And um, he, he runs hard. Uh, to use a, an expression from the Apple TV show uh, Ted Lasso, he runs like he's angry at the grass and <laughs> you can't, you can't coach that into a guy. It's just something you either have or you don't, there's no hole in his game. And for the Broncos to get, I think one of those top tier running backs, to me, there were th- three running backs that separated themselves from the rest of the group. And of course that's, that's Najee Harris out of Alabama. Uh, it goes to Pittsburgh, Travis Etienne from Clemson. He goes to Jacksonville and then Javante Williams. Those other two guys were first-round picks. The Broncos get Javante Williams in the second. Had to trade up five picks to do it. But uh, yeah, if you're you're getting you're getting, I think, first-round talent for a second-round price. Yeah, yeah, and just looking at um, some of the offense for next season because whoever is playing quarterback uh, on the Broncos next year is in for uh, you could say is in for a treat because they have some really really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, dangerous players. Uh, you have Cortland Sutton coming back next year, who I really, really like, or really rate highly. I think um, if it wasn't for injury this last season, I think he would have had a standout year, and I think it probably would have probably maybe like loosened the pressure on Drew Locke a little bit coming into this year. But also another guy, uh, Noah Fant, has been is I think on track to be one of the top tight ends, if not 
this coming season, the season after. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on Noah. And last year got derailed a little bit by an ankle problem that he played through. And also, frankly, this is where kind of the issues at the quarterback position uh, show up. And Drew Locke's got to become more consistent if he's going to be the guy. He uh, you know, was right there leading the league in a dubious stat, which is percentage of throws that were off target and not catchable for uh, for Noah Fant and, Joe, and Jerry Judy and the rest of the wide receiver and the pass catching core, I should say. So I think a little little more accuracy is, gonna, is going to help Fant out and certainly – if you look at the Aaron Rodgers possibility, there might not be anybody who benefits more from Rodgers than Noah Fan. We saw last year uh, you gave Aaron Rodgers Robert Tanyan. He's a double-digit touchdown guy. And if Rodgers gets Noah Fan, I would expect him to be talk be in the 10 to 12 touchdown range this year easily. That's the kind of that's the kind of target that Aaron Rodgers is just going to love if he becomes a Denver Bronco. No, definitely. And and how Big would the loss of Philip Lindsay be now this coming year? Because you, I know Melvin Gordon came in and I think he was sort of okay. I, I, I think I, he didn't definitely he didn't hit the heights he had when he was with the Chargers. But um, he, he's coming into a second year in this system. You know, he he might get a little more comfortable. But Philip Lindsay was not just a fantastic story, but he was a really good player. But he did complain a little bit about being mis- misused last season. Yeah, it didn't seem like he was a fit for what Pat Shermer, the offensive coordinator, wanted to do. And, you know, Shermer, if given the choice, would like to have one running back be the primary guy on most downs. Uh, for example, you go back to 2017 with Minnesota. They start the year with Dalvin Cook, and then Cook gets hurt. So their plan was to, you know, to ride Dalvin Cook heavily. Cook goes down, then they have to go into, uh, into a timeshare at running back. Shermer goes to the Giants in 2018 as head coach. They draft Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley was the very epitome of the every down back in his rookie season. And until he had a little bit of injury issue in 2019, they rode him heavily. So Shermer wants that one back who can do everything, who can who, who can run the ball between the tackles, who can make plays in the passing game, and he can help in pass pro. And Philip Lindsay, he, while he, he he's been dynamic in the run game, had some drop issues over the last couple of years when he was involved in the pass game and struggled in pass pro. It's not that he wasn't a willing blocker, but at his size and his skill set, not an effective blocker. And you can look, uh, for example, at some plays uh, last season. I think back uh, to when Drew Locke suffered a strip sack fumble against Buffalo in week 15. You know, Lindsey misses basically and sets and sets that up. And that's the sort of thing that isn't going to work for Pat Shermer. So I think, Phil, Phil is a guy who's probably best used situationally and di- in different situations than the Broncos were going to afford. So it's just not a good match for what Pat Shermer wanted to do. Now, of course, if the Broncos struggle this year, they're probably changing coaches and changing offensive coordinators again. And so that might kind of lead you to a dangerous point. You're you know, bringing in players for a scheme that maybe you're not using anymore. You're doing different things. But at the same time, Phil Lindsay. He was going into his contract year this year. He was a restricted free agent. Broncos would have lost team control of him after this year because it would have been his fourth season. So maybe it just kind of came to an end. But there were, yeah, a lot of people around here disappointed because Philip Lindsay, high school at Denver South High, University of Colorado, then then a Bronco. I mean, he was the local guy made good. And uh, there will always be a lot of pride in, in Philip Lindsay, but just didn't really fit what the Broncos wanted to do right now. 
Week one, Andrew, Denver Broncos at the New York Giants. Who are you taking? Well, it's funny because um, we've already seen a spread, right? We've seen a uh, the Broncos, I believe, are a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, I like the Broncos in this no matter who their quarterback is. Obviously, if Aaron Rodgers is the guy, then that number is going to, to, to creep up. If it's still Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke, then I think it'll probably settle at about a pick em. But I like the Broncos in this game just because – you, you no matter who the quarterback is, you look at what they're getting back uh, in terms of injuries from last year. You know, Von Miller didn't play all last year; he's back. You guys mentioned Cortland Sutton earlier; he's going to be back and at full and at full health. Melvin Gordon played well down the stretch last year. He, sh- whether even if Javante Williams isn't quite ready just yet, he'll be good to go. The secondary is better. Uh, the defensive line is back to full health after uh, missing Mike Purcell for a bunch of games last year. He's their nose tackle and. I mean, and really the offensive line is this kind of status quo. They didn't have Jawan James last year. They're not going to have him this year because of the Achilles. So kind of across the board, I think the Broncos have enough to have enough to win this game. But if it's Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, I expect a close game. If it's Aaron Rodgers, I think the Broncos are going to win by double digits. That's that's a fair assessment to make. If it's Aaron Rodgers, I'll give you the, the edge, but I, <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't yeah. give you the edge if it's not Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I, I see that jersey you got behind you, so I, 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 I... <laughs> hey. we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Bradley Chubb and you know Von Miller taking that uh you know reconstructed, yeah. yeah, taking uh, it apart and Daniel yeah. Jones with his fumble issues. Oh you know and that and that's a that's an issue going back to his Duke days. I remember uh, uh, watching him going to the 2019 draft and uh, just put the ball on the ground way too way too much. And uh, you know, fumbling is one of those things, guys. As you know, if you're a fumbler in college, you're probably still going to be a fumbler in the NFL. I mean, and Drew Locke has, has issues with fumbles as well. It's actually f- interesting to look at Daniel Jones and Drew Locke and see how, in some ways, they're kind of on parallel tracks here. And if the Broncos don't get Aaron Rodgers and Drew Locke is the starter this year, he's in the same kind of make-or-break situation that Daniel Jones is. That was certainly the the reason I was happy getting the first from the Bears for next year because if he doesn't do well this year, at least we have a little bit of ammo to move up. Yep. And that's where the Broncos, if they don't get Rodgers and Drew Locke isn't the guy, uh, they might be shaking a little bit because I think this team, this team could have a season like Buffalo did in 17 with Tyrod Taylor like Chicago did last year with Trubisky and Foles kind of splitting the time. And that is that type of year where you're nine and well, now with 17 games, you're say 10 and seven, nine and eight, eight and nine. Maybe you sneak into the postseason, but the quarterback isn't the reason why. And I, I could see if Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater ends up starting that they're just okay. And with everything else around them, the Broncos are at least in playoff contention until the very end, but that's not enough to where you say we're going to build around him. And that's where having that extra pick from the bears could have come in handy. But that one, as you mentioned, is going to belong to the giants. Definitely. And one more question before we, before we let you go, Andrew, who is the better pass blocker, Philip Lindsay or Tim Tebow? Oh, (laughs) you know, I've, I've seen Phil at least, be a willing blocker and try even uh, and and you know effort is half of it right and phil was always willing to 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 give it a shot even though sometimes he would just get overrun because of the size disadvantage so i'm still gonna say philip Lindsay 
because <laughs> I haven't sim- seen Tim Tebow try to try to block. Oh man, that's gonna be. Oh, that's, that's going gonna be to be fun. interesting. I don't know. Are, are, are the uh, are the Broncos um, uh, penciled in to face the Jaguars at any point this year? Week two, based on the leaks that we've gotten, it's going to be a week two game down in Jacksonville. So it's going to be hot. It's going to be steamy. And frankly, I, I kind of like that for the Broncos. I would have been a bit nervous for them if the game had been week one because you wouldn't have had much film on Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you just have preseason and that's it. So it's not a lot to go on. But Vic Fangio, who, you know, despite the struggles of the team the last couple of years, is certainly one of the game's great defensive tactician still is. He's going to have a game to dissect of uh, Trevor Lawrence. And I think that's going to cause some problems for Lawrence in that game and that pass protection scheme. And if it involves Tim Tebow, uh, we're trying to chip off the edge against Bradley Chubb or Vaughn Miller. Good luck, Tim. Don't think it's going to work out well for you. <laughs> I'm taking two bets in that game. A Tim Tebow catches a pass, a Tim Tebow throws a pass. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yeah, that's what you brought Trevor Lawrence in for, right? To have him give up a throw to, to a 47% career passer like Tim Tebow. <laughs> that's a very generous – I was going to say it's very generous that you think he's going to catch a pass as well. No. Oh, I, think there's, no. I think there's video of like he tried to catch one pass in his time at the, uh, at the Jets and he just totally lost the flight of it. And it's just you know, it just you know my uh, terrible gambling on this podcast there. So it's gonna continue. Uh, it's well it's well established. It's like you just like giving money away to people. That's a bit of excitement for me. Hey, the best Please. nation in the world is donation. That's it. Uh, listen, Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Before we let you go, uh, where can people find your socials in the show? Okay, you can find me on. At, at Mace Denver on Twitter. And of course, my work is at, uh, D, at VDNVR.com. We're a subscription site, site that covers all Denver sports. So of course, right now, if you're into the NBA or the NHL, a lot popping with the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic having an MVP type of season. Uh, the Avalanche are poised for a Stanley Cup run here. So a lot of good stuff going on. And then also, uh, I, uh, do a rate, I do a daily podcast, DNVR Broncos podcast, and also a daily radio show which you can access worldwide at milehighsports.com. Uh, it's from 4 to 6 p.m. Mountain Time. So uh, uh, your time, that would be uh, midnight to 2 a.m., I believe. So, or 11 to 1. 11 to 1, my bad. So yeah. you know what? Week one, when the Giants beat the yeah. Broncos, if you need a guest to come on the show, I'm probably <laughs> available. <laughs> I'll I'll keep you in mind. But so yeah, my, my advice, everyone over over on the other side of the Atlantic, is uh just catch just catch our radio show uh, on on podcast form. But the DMVR Broncos podcast, we usually uh, have it posted at about um, I think I think about seven p.m. Uh, Britain and Ireland time every day. So uh, check it out there. Excellent stuff. Listen, Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of the offseason, and we hope to speak to you again, if not before the season starts, definitely at some point during it. Oh, call anytime. Like I said, I apologize for uh, the alarm not going off yesterday, and uh, look forward to talking to you guys again. This is fun.
it's absolutely fine no problem at all listen guys that's it for this show today if you haven't already can you please like this video and subscribe to the under center podcast on youtube Uh, that's where you will find all of our shows when we put them up uh, uh, every week also on the audio side of things exact same thing just search as under center podcast you'll find us there subscribe to it and you will be uh, giving given every new show uh, once we upload them as well and while you're at it Go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash undercenterpod. The uh, Instagram and Twitter is the exact same, at undercenterpod. You'll find us there. Uh, Give us a like and a follow too, which would be great. Jake, thank you as always for popping on. Thanks very much. Uh, That is it, like I said, for this show, guys. Uh, We will speak to you again soon. We'll be talking about another team's off-season needs. But until then, stay safe and we'll see you soon.